Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Dr. Jay Thomas, host of the Toledo, Ohio-based podcast, The HIV Diaries, available on Spotify, YouTube, Podbean, and Facebook, as well as Stitcher and iHeartRadio. Yes, we are international now. Ain't that kind of cool? I thought so. Right now, though, I want to talk to you about World AIDS Day. It's a special presentation today, and it's a special day as well. December 1st, 2020, bringing awareness to AIDS and HIV and those living with it. Much like myself, I was diagnosed on June 7th of 2017. That was the day I popped positive on a rapid stick, and my life was changed, but not necessarily in the manner that I thought it would be directly. You know, I, I really thought that... Um, I've spoken about this before. I thought it was curtains. I thought that I only had so long to live. And then come to find out that, um, no, no, a lot has changed. And guess what? I'm going to be here a long, long time now. But it wasn't that long ago that AIDS and HIV was a terminal illness. And today I'd like to speak to you about that. And this is called AIDS in 21st Century Northwest Ohio. Now, some of you who may not be in this area in Northwest Ohio or may not be familiar with it, you may be asking yourself, well, why is this so relevant? Let me explain. Back in the fall of this year, back in tail end of August, first part of September, I did something I haven't done for 18 years, 19 years. I stepped back into a place of higher education and I decided to go to college for the very first time. At the age of 38, I decided to go back to school and I decided to go to Owens Community College. Wonderful school, great people, great teachers, and they challenge you. When I came in, I had to do an entrance exam. And part of my entrance exam was language arts, English, language comprehension, that type of deal. And my score was so high, they could only place me in one class. And that class was called Composition One with this professor named Marley Motto. And Marley Motto is an individual who has challenged me. For the first time in a really long time, an individual has challenged me. And not necessarily to a fight but to be better than who I was. And I kind of like that. Now this individual, this professor, assigned us an essay not too long ago where we were to pick the topic, but the topic was, it had to be something that was of what we perceived to be a problem in our area, in Northwest Ohio. And we were given a list of things we couldn't talk about or a list of things that I guess were off limits per se. And then everything else we could do. You know, if we have any questions, contact her. I chose AIDS. And I chose HIV because I know for a fact that the numbers are rising. And it's a problem. And I put together this essay. And it is, honest to goodness, the highest score I ever got on an essay in my life going back to high school. Out of 250 possible points... I got 208.5. Not bad, huh? (laughs) So right now, as a special presentation, everybody, I would like to read to you the essay that I wrote titled AIDS in 21st Century Northwest Ohio for Professor Marilyn Motto, course 202060.eng111 
2-240, Composition 1, dated Wednesday, November 11th, 2020, Draft Final. And I hope you guys enjoy this. Beginning in 1981, while some were suffering from what appeared to be a terrible hangover in the wake of the death of Disco, healthy young men began showing up in emergency rooms in various pockets of the country with occurrences of a rare skin cancer known as Kaposi's sarcoma and an even more obscure flu, pneumocystis carini pneumonia. Along with these rather odd medical cases for these young men came highly enlarged lymph nodes, incredibly decreased vision with strange orange-brown spots that progressively got worse and, in some cases, led to complete blindness. Incredibly high fevers were related, and the onset of a very severe form of thrush crippling the ability for the person suffering to breathe, eventually succumbing to and passing away very suddenly with no other real rhyme, reason, or explanation. Over time, these symptoms began to spread from those pockets of San Francisco and New York City to Miami, Los Angeles, Chicago, then eventually smaller cities like Fort Wayne, Detroit, and eventually landing in the Toledo-Lucas County area. In 1982, it was being referred to in the media as GRID, standing for Gay-Related Immune Deficiency. But once the demographic line for infections began to shift and became blurred, it was renamed that same year to AIDS, standing for Acquired Immune Deficiency Syndrome, a serious and life-threatening disease. Thoughts and attitudes on how people were acquiring this infection began with the belief it was exclusively through male-to-male sexual contact, then progressed to including IV drug use, then started including tainted Factor VIII blood used to treat those with hemophilia. Throughout the rest of the decade, though, social battle lines were drawn even further, putting on public display the already established division between those who felt that it was a curse on the homosexual population versus those who felt that restrictive religious doctrines that were unlegislated, therefore not applicable in terms of direct social enforcement, were hindering progress into the research of potential treatments and a possible cure. As it was written in the 1993 book, The Social Impact of AIDS in the United States, the response of religion to the epidemic has been multifaceted. Not only are there many religious communities with their distinct traditions, but within the traditions themselves, various themes intertwine with various emphasis. This complexity makes generalization difficult and simplification perilous. On the flip side of this argument was ACT UP activist and founder Larry Kramer, who in his obituary in the New York Times printed May 27, 2020, was quoted as simply stating, If you write a calm letter and fax it to nobody, it sinks like a brick in the Hudson. Now, for those who may be a bit younger and may not remember the days of when the illness rocked the headlines, they may be asking themselves, what exactly is AIDS? And or, if this is indeed so devastating, how come this isn't reported on more than what it is? Well, first, AIDS is a disease that is acquired through a number of different sources, 
however, is not acquired until the progression of HIV, the human immunodeficiency virus, reaches a certain level where the immune system has been compromised beyond the point of being able to properly fight and fend off various opportunistic infections. Medically, in the human blood, there is something referred to as a CD4. The CD4 count acts almost like a type of armor against colds, flus, and various other illnesses. The average healthy person's CD4 count ranges from 500 to 1500 at any given time per milliliter. Once it falls below 500, that is usually a sign that the body is fighting something off for one reason or another. When an individual is diagnosed with HIV, the progression to AIDS comes when that immune system CD4 numbers drop to 200 or below, making the person who has the virus in their body more open to coming down with various AIDS-related illnesses, i.e. thrush, various rare cancers, dementia, etc. Secondly, to answer the question of how come this isn't reported on more than it is, this is something that some, especially those living with the virus, or for that matter, those who know someone affected by it, ask too. However, the answer is believed to be traced back, at least in part, to 1996. This was the year an incredibly revolutionary treatment was discovered, referred to as the triple cocktail. It was a combination of three different medications in one, all performing a different task to control the amount of virus in the blood supply. Prior to the advent of this type of medication combination, there was basically only one or two types of medications to treat HIV. One of these drugs, first becoming available in the late 1980s, was named AZT. Now, AZT had to be taken in four-hour doses. If you missed one, the medication began to wear off quickly. Even though it was early on in the development of medications for the illness, the medication did slow the progression, but some chose to not take it due to the severe side effects, therefore progressing in their illness and eventually getting worse off. As the seemingly dark decade of the 1980s drew to a close, AIDS had claimed just over 99,000 lives in the United States, and it began to hit close to home as more and more individuals were becoming infected in the state of Ohio. Just in 1990, Ohio numbers for the newly infected reached the highest they had been since the start of the epidemic, jumping to a staggering 2,299 infections, with a small yet significant and troubling number being persons 13 years of age or younger. In Lucas County, the numbers of newly infected people rose close to 75% from 1989 to 1990, in turn, appearing like there was no end in sight. However, with the triple cocktail coming about in 1996, it made it possible for the copies that existed in the bloodstream to be killed off, allowing the immune system to rebuild itself. How did this take place, you ask? Simply put, the virus is still in the body and lives in various lymph node pockets throughout. 
but is basically put to sleep in a form of remission, allowing those who live with the virus to go from living with what was referred to as a terminal illness to now live with what's being referred to as a chronic manageable condition. While amazing and life-changing, the downside of this incredible medical breakthrough created a new problem. There are many theories as to why this took place, but here is what is known for sure. People weren't dying like they used to, and as more and more time passed, treatments improved even more for the better overall health of those living with the virus. They began to live their normal lives with little to no interruption and without fear, in some cases with just one pill a day. During this time, it did begin to slowly fade off the television newscasts and out of the national public eye, almost disappearing for good until the early to mid part of the 2010s when a sudden uptick in diagnosis began to take place not just nationally, but locally, when between 2015 and 2016, the numbers of newly infected in Toledo and Lucas County rose more than 90%, with a strong part of those numbers being in the demographic of persons aged 20 to 29. The problem never went away, as some may like to think. The virus was never cured and never really disappeared. It was just controlled, and now those who have it just live with it and manage it. Therefore, breeding an attitude and form of complacency among those who, once upon a time, supported cures and treatments in masses is now looked at as a non-priority in regards to widespread fundraising while numbers continue to slowly rise and persist. That is no more evident when looking at numbers in Northwest Ohio, as more and more people in their 20s and early 30s, in the prime of their lives, are contracting the virus and not caring about the consequences of their own actions. They believe since they are able to live with it, it's perfectly alright to do those things that may lead to contracting this potentially deadly disease. In reality, that could not be any further from the harsh reality of the truth. Some even going so far as to intentionally spread the virus to others in what is referred to as gift giving, and the person receiving it is referred to as the chaser. Speaking from the heart, how a deadly virus that will slowly eat away your body's ability to fight off infections, then visibly destroy your body from the outside and potentially end your life is a gift, is beyond the comprehension of this writer. Maybe it's the generational gap that leads me to feel that way. I am 38 years old, and remember, almost like it was yesterday, the latter part of the 1980s and early 1990s, when the label was first attached to this disease as being something only gay people had, which of course turned out to be false. Clear as day, the memories of how degrading it was to an entire group of people who got labeled with something that not only did they not ask for, but something that was so incredibly powerful in terms of stigma that spilled over into the next generation, creating a continued lack of respect and compassion for those afflicted is burned into memory for the rest of my life. Then again, 
Maybe it is because of what was all over the media and in the public eye throughout the 1980s and 90s, with the carnage the virus left in its wake. The videos and powerful images of not just the national narrative, but how the clinics were beginning to be overrun with cases and diagnosis. So much so, they had full hospital wings and medical offices devoted entirely to its patients' needs. Or maybe it was the complacency that a young man in his early 30s, literally in the best shape of his life, taking care of himself, thought he was doing all the right things, experienced head-on Wednesday, June 7th of 2017, just before 1.30 in the afternoon, that forever altered the course of that train of thought. That was the day that this very writer walked into the Lucas County Health Department right here in Northwest Ohio, took what's referred to as a rapid test that gets a saliva sample and is used to determine whether there is a presence of antibodies for the virus, then waited out in a hallway. The test was to take 20 minutes, but by minute 12, I was pulled back into the office and was told, we are getting a very strong positive. And my life was changed forever. HIV and AIDS is still here. And it is still a very real problem. If we do not begin to remember our past and where we came from to get where we are now, the reality of repeating the unnecessary loss of an entire generation will soon potentially loom over our everyday lives. This is not just one person's written opinion. This is an historical documented fact through time.